that to one side. Good morning, everyone. Oh, that's a bit loud. <laughs> Thank you. And I'll uh, extend my... I'll just lift this, lift this a little bit. Just pull it. Okay, that's better. My eyesight can't see down that far. Uh, I'd extend my best wishes for a happy Father's Day as well. My grandson rang up this morning and uh, he said, Mummy can't come to the phone, but she says to wish you a happy birthday. It's from Mummy. A uh, happy Father's Day. Well, he actually did say birthday. <laughs> and then I heard Mum in the background say Father's Day. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, that's good. And, and you can wish me a happy Father's Day too. He said, you're not my father. <laughs> well, I, you can wish me a happy Grandfather's Day. <laughs> so, happy Grandfather's Day. And then he went off and repeated the, the times table from one times to 12 times. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that was great. Uh, um, this morning, I'll just make sure, ah yes, that looks good, so I think I'll have this right, I hope so. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about wisdom. Um, and until I started preparing this message, boy, that's a big topic. Uh, and uh, I'm only just going to be touching on it this morning, particularly uh, wisdom looking in the Old Testament. We do know that you get into the New Testament and Christ has been made wisdom for us. But looking at the Old Testament is basically what I'll be doing. And it's the first um, message in a series on wisdom. And uh, there are five books in the Old Testament that are referred to as both wisdom and poetry. <laughs> and those five books are the books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And each one of them in their own way present wisdom to us. These books are not books of law, they're not books of prophecy, they're not books of history like the rest of the Old Testament is. So where do they fit into the Old Testament? Um, what's their purpose? Um, can we try and define wisdom to start with? And I'm going to be looking as an overview of wisdom rather than so much a, a sermon. Now, have you ever wondered, now what's the right thing to do here? Or should I speak up or should I shut up? <laughs> um, or um, should I get involved in this or should I avoid it like the plague? You ever had those sort of questions? Well, I think they're the sort of questions that every one of us has asked at different times and we ask questions like that probably every day of our lives. And uh, it's interesting to think we're always searching for the right thing to do according to our value system. And if my value system is to get along with my friends, I might come up with a completely different answer to if my value system is to please the Lord. So wisdom, to a certain extent, to a big extent, depends on what your value system is. So broadly speaking, wisdom affects the whole domain of our human experience. It's been said that wisdom is a search for truth. It's got to be more than a search. If you just search and keep on searching, that's... So really, you've got to come to a conclusion. And I'll put together a definition for wisdom that, um, oops, 
Yes, that's it. Um, I believe that wisdom is the ability to observe situations, observe physical things, almost anything, to cogitate and contemplate on what's been observed, and then to come to a, a correct conclusion considering the, uh, what the input that we've had, and finally act on those conclusions. I don't think wisdom is much good. Oh yes, that's the right thing to do, but you don't go ahead and do it. Um, so those three aspects, observing, contemplating, and coming to a conclusion upon which you can act, is what I believe is a reasonable definition for wisdom. Do we get it right all the time? Do we always come up with the right conclusions? And we look at this, obviously there's some skill involved in getting to the right conclusion, in following this process. And it was interesting as I prepared for this, I discovered that the Hebrew word that's translated wisdom in the Old Testament can also be translated skill or skillfulness. And uh, in the, um, you'll find it referred, referring to the wisdom or skill of the craftsmen who worked on the tabernacle or the wisdom or skillfulness of the women who spun cloth for the tabernacle or the wisdom of men who worked in bronze the skillfulness of men who worked in bronze so if we look at it that way the word wisdom could be referred to the wisdom of doctors or surgeons or um, tradesmen in different trades the skillfulness in applying something that you know to bring about a, uh, a result. Now, I'll be thinking mainly of the book of Proverbs here. In the book of Proverbs, the word wisdom refers to skillful living, skillfulness for living your life. Now, this series that uh, we're starting today is called Wisdom for Life. It could equally be called skillfulness for living so that's what we desire well so much for a definition I'm going to be coming back to that a number of times as I go through my message but I want to take a step further and really get down to a bit more of the nitty-gritty of, of wisdom where did wisdom come from in the first place uh, where did it begin now one thing is plain, we need to go back in history. The whole universe was an intelligent plan of God who in his wisdom established every single thing that we can ever hope to know or experience. Any, anything at all that we could observe. There was a time when the universe did not exist, nothing physical existed. When we turn to the New Testament, we find in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, this statement. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So it's obvious that there was a time... There was a time 
before anything physical was created. In the environment of apparent emptiness, which I don't believe we can really conceive in our minds, absolutely nothing, God and God alone was present. Probably preferable to call him by his name, Yahweh was present. In his mind, in his wisdom, he conceived the whole of creation and having conceived it all by his wisdom, by his skillfulness, he created it all and it was very good. Now this is referred to in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8 verses 22 to 31. Uh, it's a long passage and I've abbreviated it. But it's a passage where wisdom is personified. It's as though wisdom is speaking. So I put in the words, I am wisdom at the beginning of it. I am wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old. From everlasting, I, wisdom, was established. While he had not yet made the earth... When he established the heavens, I, wisdom, was there. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. So this is the origin of wisdom. It's a characteristic of God. It was with him before creation ever occurred. It all started with the Lord God before creation began. We follow this through when we come to the fact that his last act of creation was the creation of a man and a woman. God's creative wisdom and what he was working towards culminated in you and me. That was the goal of his wisdom at that time. And his desire that in wisdom which we obtained from God, you and I respond to his wisdom, know him as God, and bring him worship. There's a couple of verses that we're all very familiar with from the book of Genesis, chapters 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. There's two significant words there, govern and reign. To govern you mean to me making decisions about what is the right thing to do? What do I do here? Rain. The same story, except that it infers that man is king of the earth. And to sort of summarise this in a different way, we can say this. God created mankind in his own image to have wisdom to use wisdom to understand and regulate and guard his creation. That was the task that God gave to Adam and that's a task he's given to you and me. 
we are the only beings on earth who are equipped to observe, cogitate, contemplate, draw conclusions and act on those conclusions. And this is the very foundation of being created in the image of God, that we have this capacity, this capacity for wisdom. I've already indicated that wisdom, to a greater or lesser extent, must be applied to every single aspect of our lives. And just as God in his wisdom conceived of the universe, in his mind, we can't get into the mind of God, but he conceived of the universe and created it, so too in the limits of our human frame, we too can conceive of something and go ahead and create it. Who's conceived of something and gone ahead and created it? I have. I suspect every single one of us have. Think of the wheel, how valuable that is to us. Sometime in the distant past, someone conceived of a wheel, went ahead and created it. And thousands, tens of thousands of other things. There's an eminent example of this, one person that's an eminent example of this, and that's the great Italian sculptor and painter, Michelangelo. You may have heard the comment that he looked at a block of marble and he saw the statue of David in it. Well, basically, that's pretty well the words that he himself says. I hope you can read that. Is that okay? Okay. Michelangelo said this, In every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. So he, in his wisdom, observed David in that. He thought about it, then he acted on it, <laughs> and out came the statue of David and many other statues. Maybe that statement might seem a little bit vain, but there's other things that Michelangelo said, and um, I love this. That uh, is the statue of the Paeta in the St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and look at the fantastic work. Michelangelo said this, Many believe, and I believe, that I have been designated for this work by God. In spite of my old age, I do not want to give it up. I work out of love for God, and I have put all my hope in him. He honoured God recognising that the skill that he had was a gift from God. The wisdom that he had for working with marble was a gift from God. And that's amazing. We should take note, I think, of that. It's interesting to note that the man in the statue, he was a wise man as well, he wrote the book of Psalms, or much of the Psalms, and uh, David said, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. You know, it, it does us no harm to realise that indeed we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Physically, but these other capacities that we've got. It, it's interesting, I mentioned my grandson earlier, seven-year-old, 
and uh, I've observed him standing in front of a mirror at our home, dressed exactly as David was in that statue. Thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I have been wonderfully made. Um, no, no one here has ever done that when they were small <laughs> or when they were older. I never noticed my daughters doing it, but I noticed my sons doing it. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was fantastic. It's beautiful. That's how we were created. But then there's a pity about this because mankind messed up, didn't we? Um, they applied wisdom all right, but in their wisdom they rejected God. And I don't think there's a better passage for summarising this than the passage in Romans 1 from verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen, they've observed it, the earth and the sky, through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. They have no excuse for coming to the right conclusion. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. Whoops. Could you? Ah, got it. Thank you. Either that was me or Pete, I'm not sure. <laughs> and instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. There's a great lesson to be learned here with a statement like that. Our God is not a God to be taken lightly. Although our God is a, a merciful God, he has no time for fools who persist in rejecting him. The Bible definition of a fool is a person who says there is no God. Okay, historically, let's follow this a bit further. In ancient times when the whole world in their misplaced wisdom rejected God, he destroyed that world by a flood. The wrong exercise of wisdom was the problem. Their value system did not include the true God. The only people saved, of course, were Noah and his family. But God, in his merciful wisdom, started again and raised up the nation of Israel and he raised them up for a particular reason. He rose up, raised up Israel so that through him he might reveal to the world exactly who he was as opposed to all of the other gods that were being worshipped. But also to make clear the value system that should govern daily life. Remember that Sinai... He gave Israel the Ten Commandments and the laws that follow on in the book of Leviticus. Now what he gave them was a compendium, a, a summary of his laws. And 
it couldn't possibly cover every single thing that you do every single day. And it was through those laws, though, that God decreed how Israel should live in relation to their God and in relation to each other. Now, although wisdom goes well beyond relationships, as we saw with Michelangelo, that wasn't relational, that was something physical and wisdom in his case. Um, the foundational wisdom that God legislated for Israel was relational. How to relate to God, how to relate to each other, um, even when you get into Leviticus, how to go about your business and things like that. Um, how to live in the world. These laws could be followed very religiously by the Jews, and they did, but as I said, by no way did they cover so many everyday situations that people can experience. So what does that mean? We, with our God-given capacity for wisdom, are required to extrapolate the Ten Commandments to cover every situation we face in the world. That needs to be the foundation for our wisdom. Now, it's in this area that King Solomon penned at least three of the wisdom books to teach his subjects just how they should react in many typical life situations. Okay, what I've tried to do up to this stage is to introduce wisdom. I've tried to define it and I've tried to spell out the history of wisdom. So now let's get back to the wisdom books and look at their purpose so far as the, the Bible is concerned. In each of those books on wisdom that I mentioned before, we see the writer observing life situations, thinking about them and coming to conclusions. I'll dwell a bit more on the book of Proverbs and look for a couple of examples. Um, I suppose if we're going to look at the book of Proverbs, we have to say, well, what is a proverb? <coughs> a proverb can be described as an object lesson based on or using some comparison or analogy. A short saying that states a general truth or a lesson learned from experience. They are always written in a poetic format with either repetition of the topic or a contrast of the topic, but in both cases to emphasise an important point. And when you read Proverbs, if you read between the lines, there is always an inferred action. The action might not necessarily be stated, sometimes it is, but there is always an inferred action. I'll just look at a, a couple of Proverbs at the moment and just try and see these points. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. You'll see the two sections there. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. So there's the first statement. First line. And the Proverbs are usually in two lines or four lines with this repetition, poetic repetition. Then the second line, arguments separate friends like a gate locked and barred, I think it says, locked with bars. 
The second one, there are friends who destroy each other. That's the first statement. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. So the first one had two statements, one reinforcing the other. The second one had two statements, but they were an alternative, uh, presenting a good alternative. Now, I've got those two because they're similar. He's observed things in the world. He's commented on what happens when he's observed. He's uh, presented it and reinforced it. What is the inferred action? Isn't it don't insult your friends? Isn't it value your friendship? Isn't it don't drive friends away? They're valuable to you. So there's usually this inferred action in Proverbs. The Proverbs that Solomon wrote provide a record of the conclusions from his observations and his contemplations <laughs> of what happened in the world around him. And an inferred action is there. The underlying emphasis is that we need wisdom to structure the way that we live in the world. Scripturally, Solomon is regarded as the wisest man who ever lived. And it's enlightening for us to take note of his observation of common everyday things, his obvious thinking about them and the conclusions he draws. He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and in it he observes the vicissitudes of life, the varying fortunes of life, usually things that are difficult to control and he ultimately draws conclusions from them. There's a passage that speaks volumes in it and we can see clearly this observation, contemplation and drawing conclusions. It also shows Solomon's sense of humour. I, I really like this passage. He says, it's in two parts really. The observations. When you dig a well, you might fall in. When you demolish an old wall, you could be bitten by a snake. When you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, there's danger with each stroke of your axe. Now, up until that stage, sort of, you see what he's getting at? <laughs> there's danger in what you're doing. Then it changes in, in this next verse. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That is the value of wisdom. It helps you to succeed. So what's he saying about the whole picture? In each of these areas that are read, the first few, it's obvious to people what can happen. He's basically saying, take precautions. <laughs> take precautions in whatever you're doing. And then he puts in this last line, I love this. If a snake bites before you charm it, What's the use of being a snake charmer? I like to put it the other way around. What's the use of being a snake charmer if you let snake bite you <laughs> before you charm it? So take precautions. And he's got this um, amusing way of reinforcing what he wants to say. Okay. I know if we looked at those passages once again, we'd say, does it say anything about God there? No, it doesn't. You'd say it's common sense, wouldn't you? You don't need to be a Christian to come to these conclusions. 
God gave mankind wisdom to come to have common sense. Um, I want to now come to the purpose of wisdom. Coming from the readings this morning, we won't look at the whole reading. I'll just pick up some specific ones and consider what Solomon considered was the purpose of all of his proverbs. And I'd suggest it's the purpose of wisdom literature in the Bible. <clears throat> proverbs 1 verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> These are the proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom, skillfulness, pardon me, and discipline, good habits, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined, that's well-ordered, and successful lives, to help them do what is right and just and fair. What do you mean by successful lives? Okay, are they lives that where you make a lot of money? Well, wisdom probably will help you to make a lot of money. But that's not what this means. Notice, successful lives to help them do what is right and just and fair. We'll go on to the verse 4 because it also... There it is. Um, These proverbs will give insight. That's also been translated prudence. Now what's prudence? Prudence is to stop you putting your foot in your mouth. Putting your mouth into gear before your mouth, opening your mouth before your brain's in gear. Um, to the simple, that's also been translated naive. What's, it, what's naive? Naive can be referred to as being ignorant of what's going on around you, being childlike where really what's going on around you doesn't matter to you anyhow, uh, or unschooled, you, you haven't got knowledge to consider what's going on around you. So Proverbs will give insight or prudence to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young, so it'll give discernment. So if we put all of this together, we come up with this purpose statement, applicable specifically to Proverbs, but I'd suggest to most of the wisdom in those five books. The purpose of Proverbs is that we might develop skillfulness in determining what are the morally right things to do and to habitually act on that determination in all circumstances, producing things that are of lasting value to God and the community, doing what's just and fair and right. To develop the ability not to make rash decisions, but rather the ability to discern the correct approach at all times. Is that you? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if that was the pattern of our lives? Now, obviously, where to read the books of wisdom in the Bible um, and, we, and as we're taught by them, develop our own ability to observe and contemplate and draw conclusions in line with God's goodness. Now, I've added that little bit on the end, in line with God's goodness, because verse 7 in the reading this morning adds a qualification. 
Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And I'll look at Proverbs 9 verse 10, which is similar to it, just switches some words around a little bit. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So the foundation of true wisdom is knowledge of the Holy One, knowledge of God's Word, knowledge of what the Lord uh, would have us do, that we can understand the moral aspects of it. Thank God so far as we are as Christians, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that aids us in this area. But without this knowledge of God, without this desire to do everything in this understanding of God as our foundation, this ability that God has given to us to exercise wisdom can even be dangerous. What do I mean that wisdom can be dangerous? It's important to recognise that wisdom of itself, this observing and thinking about it, coming to conclusions, has no morality. There are many times where the Bible is critical of the wise who led Israel astray. I would venture that even a person like Hitler was a man of considerable wisdom who knew how to influence people and the whole of Germany followed him because of a certain understanding that he had. Even one of his chief administrators reflected that he could not understand how it was that he followed Hitler so faithfully. The fear of God is the foundation of true wisdom. Hitler's wisdom and the wisdom of many national leaders has often been self-serving rather than serving God. And you can ask the question, what will be the end of nations whose leaders base their decisions on popularity or godless ideologies rather than on God's absolute values? And of course, it's a concern even in Australia. Having said that, we too, unfortunately, can fall into that same trap. We too, even subconsciously, can base our wisdom on popularity or some different sort of ideology and not on our knowledge of God. So far as we're concerned, wisdom for a successful life must be based on a commitment to draw our conclusions in the knowledge of the Word of God. Amen.